Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by FanDuel. Promo code 444. New users can take advantage of FanDuel's risk-free first bets. You get $1,000 back if you don't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Enter our promo code 444. Take advantage. I'm Ryan Noonan. Joined here, as always, by my friends, Connor Allen, John Daigle. Uh, the draft, fellas, it was a lot of fun. We made a lot of money. Hopefully made you a lot of money. Listeners, subscribers as well. Had some good stuff that we gave out for free here in this very spot last week with Joey Kanish and Evan Silva. Uh, Daigle, start with you, buddy. How are you doing today? Doing well. Can't wait for everyone to hear Connor since his voice clearly is cracking because <laughs> of how loud he was screaming at the draft in Vegas. Uh, if you look at my sleep tracker at the two days after the draft, like got a lot because I just passed out and stayed down for the count. So uh, we're refreshed now. It's the time of the year I enjoy most, which is post-draft. Everyone sort of falling out of the weeds, which makes the grinding even more comfortable nowadays. So yeah, really excited moving forward. I want to go to Vegas to sleep. That's what I did last September to get away from my son who just refuses to get more than four consecutive hours of sleep. So I'm jealous, Daigle, but I will live vicariously through you in your well-rested aura. Uh, Connor, how was Vegas? I know the draft was uh, very fun, lucrative. Uh, did you have a good time? Did you uh, bring anything back for your fiance? Uh, I, I did bring her back some presents, but uh, I don't think that they're in the most, the, the ones that she'd like the most. Um <laughs> But beyond that, uh, you know, it was a great time. I mean, it was an awesome time. I went with Dalton Cates and some of his friends. It was it was a blast. We made, I mean, more money than we could have possibly imagined. Uh, I lost a lot of it at the tables, gave a lot of it back. Um, I don't think I won a dime in craps. I think I lost like everything. So it was fun. Went out some good dinners, you know, had a great time. Uh, but yeah, recovering a little bit still from it. We're going to do our best to, I guess, recap the draft. I think, you know, the, the grades thing is common at this time, but I do think it's good to kind of put a stamp and move forward. We're going to get into a lot of future stuff over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to get into, you know, uh, futures that are out there, uh, season win totals, all sorts of stuff like that. So we want to kind of put a bow on the draft. You know, we do, I think we'll start to see maybe a little bit, and Dago, you can touch on this, um, kind of that second wave of free agency. Are you expecting to see some stuff? I know it's a little bit slower. We are through the first wave. But there are some impactful players that are still out there for teams. Do we expect a second wave here in the coming weeks? Or what do you think uh, the cadence is for that with you know OTAs and stuff coming up shortly? I mean, Will Fuller is still a free agent. Like That's yeah. just one player, but that's the type of caliber players that are still out there looking for one-year prove-it deals. There are quite a few of them. I kept going back to the 4 for 4 free agent tracker in the couple of weeks leading up to the draft thinking, I don't even know how many people are even reading this anymore, but there are still a lot of empty players that I haven't filled in on that board because they're out there. And now that we're post draft, this is when rosters really get filled out. A lot of those players that teams grabbed in the seventh round, I hope they make good eight to 10 years career for themselves back up. But let's be honest, they're not going to make the final roster. And so teams are trying to churn out to make sure their roster is very strong in the back end. And so, yeah, it's still a very important time right now in free agency. Yeah, so I think we are going to hold off a little bit on some of those win total discussions. We'll reference it here today, but I think getting in the weeds on it, I think, is a little bit premature because I think we do have some impactful moves still to be made for some teams that have a better idea of what those holes are now post-draft. Maybe they weren't able to add maybe the top of the board at a certain position, and now they prioritize that in free agency. So we're going to go NFC and AFC. Before we do, I want to remind you to rate and review. Subscribe wherever you're watching or listening on YouTube. Uh, podcast form, wherever you're doing that helps us a ton. 
lets other people find us as well. Head over to 444.com slash plans if you're looking to scoop up a betting sub. Uh, if you were a betting subscriber and tailed us, you had a very profitable week, a $100 better, uh, cleared over $4,000, just tailing the official picks we made and put into our Discord. We put a lot of other picks in the chat in Discord and had discussions with other folks that weren't necessarily official picks. But if you were hanging out in the Discord, um, we really appreciate it. We had a lot of messages of folks making uh, lots of money. It's a very impactful time. So uh, join us, jump in again, 444.com slash plans, get you everything on the site. We have awesome best ball stuff. Daigle is doing a ton of work on the redraft side, on the best ball side. You don't want to miss those tools. Sam Hoppin's done a lot of work there too. So the betting sub gets you access to literally everything under the roof. So take advantage of that. So jump in gentlemen. We're going to start with the NFC first. We'll go alphabetically um, and kind of fill in the holes. So we'll start with the Cardinals, Arizona. Didn't have a, uh, a pick until round two. They traded 23 for Hollywood Brown, pick 100. Hollywood still got two years left on that rookie deal. Seems like they're trying to placate Kyler there a little bit. Um, they did just extend Zach Ertz and Max Williams, but their first pick was Trey McBride, a very talented, athletic tight end there in round two. We knew that Edge was a need for them as well. We were mocking Edge quite often for them as well at 23 if they were to stay because Chandler Jones is now in Vegas. Uh, they two, two, took two shots at the board in round three. Cameron Thomas, uh, Maya Sanders. PFF really likes a guard that they added in the sixth round as well. Dale, any thoughts on the Arizona Cardinals draft? So we are doing this practice because I like grades because I take a look at it how a lot of people don't, and that is the process that got us there to make those picks to begin with. That's how you fail or grade appropriately. Noonan, you don't like grades, but you have to look at the class to assess how this roster looks, which is what you enjoy doing, and the Connor likes looking for futures bets. So I think it all works out with our passions. And for the Cardinals, I do think it's interesting that, one, you can dunk on them for trading the number 23 overall pick, essentially for Marquise Brown, whenever the Eagles traded the number 18 overall pick for, for A.J. Brown. And on the surface, that looks very bad considering their talent gaps, Brown and well, Hollywood and Browns. But also, Marquise Brown's going to be 24 years old. He's under contract for $7.75 million for the next two years. Like, honestly, if it were not for the A.J. Brown occurring just moments after they traded for Hollywood, the Cardinals, it probably looks like a tremendous deal for the Cardinals, especially to reunite Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown under the same offense for a team that needed that field stretcher post Christian Kirk and for agency. Remember, Kyler Murray also led the entire league in completion rate on throws 20-plus yards downfield last year, and that was against the league's fourth toughest passing schedule of opposing defenses. And so I think it's a tremendous fit. You also talked about what they did afterwards on day two in particular. Trey McBride, although he was universally the number one tight end in the class, he's pretty much roadblocked in year one under Zach Thomas. There is a team-friendly void in a couple years, so they will probably move on overall and allow McBride to develop this year at least. And then for Thomas and Sanders, they're two third-round picks, clearly just trying to make up for the 10 and a half sacks Chandler Jones took with him to Las Vegas in free agency. Sanders and Thomas, of course, combined for 26 total pressures against the Power 5 schools they played last year, Alabama, Utah, and Arizona. So overall, including the Marquise Brown trade, I do think it was actually a very good class for the Cardinals. Yeah, Connor, we knew a little bit. We had some whispers at the time, about a week or so. You know, we didn't, you know, it wasn't our news to report, and it was speculative that there was going to be something happening with the Hopkins news, it did come to fruition. So it makes even more sense in hindsight that they went in and add the Hollywood Brown deal there. Uh, what are your thoughts here in the Cardinals? 
Yeah. I mean, not to mention too, if you kind of look at how the wide receivers shook out, like at pick 23, there would have been none of them left. Like none of those top six guys would have been left regardless. So essentially if they really needed a wide receiver replacement, like I think that trading away the 23rd pick was actually not a bad deal for them. Uh, and then also, um, I mean, their win total right now is nine Super Bowl odds, 25 to one. I, I don't think that it necessarily hurt or improved them, but you know, I think that their, their class was just kind of like even for me, I guess, overall, like I think Hollywood was a good Kirk, Christian Kirk replacement, but obviously with the news about Hopkins, that kind of, you know, t- deteriorates, I think some of their offensive output, in my opinion, but overall, I think it was just pretty neutral for me. The Atlanta Falcons, I think they started the night with a bottom three roster. They might still be there after the draft, but all in all, I, I like what they did. I mean, Drake London took a shot first receiver off the board. So their success a little bit hinges on his success because this was a pretty strong group at receiver. Arnold Abikati was often mocked in round one. Uh, they were able to stay kind of put there uh, at him at pick 38. And that was a need. We, the Falcons had, I think, the lowest pressure rate in the league last year from a team standpoint. Um, Troy Anderson was kind of a relative athletic you know, score freak at linebacker. Uh, played quarterback and running back at Montana State. Uh, you know, when he was like a freshman and sophomore and now was an, you know, athletic linebacker. So that's pretty cool. You like to see those things and then staying home and getting Desmond Ritter. They were kind of paired with Ritter often in the process, um, but to not draft him at eight to be able to get him all the way into round three is pretty cool. And then Mike Davis out of town. Now you could have a situation where Tyler Algier, Dave, uh, Daigle walks right into a pretty manageable role. Uh, maybe get some touches here in, in round one. What do you think his prospects are? And then talk to me about the Falcons. For a team that ranked dead last with a 21% pressure rate last year to start your day off on Friday with a individual in Arnold Ebicati who had first round grades on a lot of boards, I thought it was a tremendous start. Also, the theme really of this draft was teams not trying to draft a quarterback, but also not being penalized for taking players in the third round. I'm not sure the Titans even wanted Malik Willis, but when a player like that caliber drops in the third round, you take him. I'm not sure the Falcons wanted a quarterback, but when Desmond Ritter's there in the third round, you take him. And the same goes for Matt Corral with the Panthers. And so I actually think they were playing their cards correctly through the first two days when they just looked up and said, like, this is the highest guy on our board right now, and we're not sacrificing high draft capital for them. So of course we take a chance on a franchise cornerstone, no matter what we think of this class. So overall, yeah, the Falcons prioritize athleticism. You already mentioned Troy Anderson, who also had the best relative athletic score of the entire draft at off-ball linebacker. And again, moved to that position in 2021 was not even a linebacker prior to holding out all of 2020 during the COVID shortened season. And so still lots of raw potential and athleticism there. So yes, I was happy to see them prioritize something we consider they should be doing in strictly athleticism. And so at least this team will be very fun, whether it's Ritter or Mariota under center, as they clearly prep to get their face of the franchise under center in 2023. Smart. It's a stacked quarterback draft there. Connor, what are your thoughts here? On the Falcons. Yeah, I I took a small position on the under on their five win total. I think not really reflective of their draft. I thought they did well in the draft. It's just like if you look at the rest of their team aspect, I just think it's like pretty terrible. I mean, I think that they're, I mean, a bottom three team pretty easily. And, uh, you know, at this point, clearly the worst team in their division, even though I do think the Panthers are pretty bad. So I took a little position on the under there. Haven't made it official yet, but I just think their draft was good, but not good enough to really make me consider the over. That's at like four and a half in most other spots, too. I agree with you. What's fun, though, and this is why 
the way we talk about these things should always be segmented into portions of the offseason because the Lions and Falcons should be applauded for their classes. At the same time, let's not blow it out of proportion what they're doing. They're building for 2023, not this year. The Lions will not compete this year. The Falcons will not compete this year. But they are building appropriately for the face of the franchise next year, and that's what's important. Yeah, that's a great point. Next team kind of falls in that, though they didn't have the capital to really build for the future as much. The Carolina Panthers were not able to find a trade partner, um, but I'm pretty sure they're happy with how the, bell, the board fell to them. Uh, they were able to grab Iggy Aquano at pick six. Um, they did trade back up. Um, again, the bar was not very high here for the quarterbacks, but Matt Corral has a chance to be maybe one of the best quarterbacks in this class. Again, we've talked about it. I know Daigle is not a big Matt Corral guy, but I think to your point that Daigle was talking about earlier, same thing with Desmond Ritter, getting him in round three at pick 94 when you don't seem very confident in your quarterback that's coming back this year is kind of a low-risk proposition. So, uh, Daigle, talk to me here about the Panthers, Matt Corral, and anything you like here moving forward. And, and the two picks they gave up to move up for Corral, one was a day three selection. And if I hate anything more than Corral, it's day three selections. Again, <laughs> the NFL – whether it's announcers or front offices overvalue the hell out of day three selections. Like again, they just don't matter. And so the fact they gave it away to move up for a quarterback, like that's the position we should be trying to prioritize on day two, whenever they dip. And it's not so much that I don't have high hopes in corral. I just don't like unknowns, right? Like, like Billy Bean once said, hope is not a strategy. And that's all they're doing is hoping corral pans out since he was a, gimmicky quarterback at Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin. He's play action on FBS high, 60% of his dropbacks in a league-leading RPO-based scheme, also recorded the nation's fifth most passing yards on screens last year. And so it's just unknown if he can read NFL defenses. And that's like the one unknown I hate dealing with with quarterbacks is, can you actually read like a, a tougher, stiffer competition scheme? And we just don't know a corral. So the traits, a very toolsy guy, Amazing to get him there. Same for Aquanu, another toolsy athletic guy that they prioritize. Even their last two picks on defense, all freak athletes. That's what the Panthers love. That's what Matt, Matt Rule, for as many mistakes as he's made in his class, has always prioritized athletes, which I respect. But for Corral, yes, clearly an open-ended career. Hasn't that been the Panthers, uh, I mean, basically just whole MO uh, the last three years? Just like Bridgewater, hope and pray. Darnold, hope and pray. Hope and pray they get with Deshaun Watson. Still didn't get him. Now they're with Matt Corral in the backup. I mean, how long are they just going to be like whiffing on getting anyone that we think has like a reasonable chance to be even like a league average quarterback? I mean, I guess Teddy, maybe you could have you could have made that argument for. But even then, like all these guys have been pretty much bottom five, bottom 10 quarterbacks, uh, even with good weapons around him. So that's kind of what and I mean, a promising offensive coordinator, Joe Brady at the time. Now they're going to change their whole offense. I think it'll go a little bit run heavier now. So I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of out on the Panthers, to be honest. Yeah, hard not to be. But to Daigle's point, like you take shots at this position. It's a position that matters more than anything. So you, to your For point, sure. you hope and pray and hope and pray. The worst thing you could do is just kind of settle, lock in, extend Sam Darnold, which you know they kind of did. They opted you know, when they you know, they took on that fifth year, but like continue to take shots at the board. Well, I think we could be lambasting them for taking Corral in the first or in the second, but like at ninety four or whatever they took him, like that's fine. Like if it doesn't work out, take shots. Given the cards, won. given the cards they were dealt, I thought they did just fine. Like the picks that they had, I thought they did well. But and remember, you know, given their overall four years or three years of uh, you know how this has been, it's been I would say an utter utter disaster under their new ownership. I would say they have done a lot of things right. The one thing they've done wrong is the one that 
we talk about the most. Quarterback is highlighted the most. And yes, they have done an egregious job answering that. They had two years to get it right this offseason, and they failed miserably to do that. And I just think it's important to remember Chris Sims had Corral ranked as his number one quarterback coming out. And this is important because he thinks like NFL GMs think. And so if he does have that kind of talent, which is what everyone says, that the, the wrist flick, the arm strength, everything you want in an NFL quarterback is there. It's just undecided if you can play against the NFL. And so to take that chance at the third round, I think it's, I, I think it's just fine. And yes, they should be dunked on for how they've handled quarterback, but everything else, even Amaro, their sixth round edge, or Barno, I'm sorry, their sixth round edge, uh, he had a hundred percentile 40, a 436 40 speed at 65, 246. Like they know what they're doing in drafting players, except for when it comes to quarterback. Yeah, fair. It's the hardest position to get. So uh we'll move on to a team that I'm not sure what they're doing. We'll start with the good Chicago Bears. Uh, I think they added two starters to their secondary to start round two, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. Um, I think there's some talent there. They also took a very, you know, New England's Baltimore type approach, continuously trading back, try to acquire more picks, acknowledging that the draft is a crapshoot. Give yourself more shots. Again, unfortunately, it's a lot of day three picks to Daigle's point. They turned six picks into 11 picks. They added a bunch of offensive line depth. Hopefully one of them for them pans out. With that said, they have a young quarterback on a rookie deal, and they seem to have a zero sense of urgency to support him. They made, uh, like you said, 11 picks. Just one of those was a receiver. Uh, we've seen all the jokes on Millis Jones Jr. He will be 25 come week one. Uh, very little college production in six years of college. This is a special teamer, essentially, uh, between his years at USC and at Tennessee. Um, I don't really understand it, and... Again, this is a new front office, a new staff, a new everything, but like it seems kind of like the same old beat, Connor, for the Bears. Yeah, I was, I was, I thought that the whole Kyler Gordon pick was pretty good considering he was like a first round prospect in a lot of people's eyes. And the fact that he got, uh, you know, destroyed for being serious about dancing, I thought was, you know, very, very funny. <laughs> um, but I mean, overall, I thought that was actually a pretty reasonable pick. But again, like you look at the overall scope of their, like what they did. I mean, they still have a bottom three offensive line and a bottom three supporting cast for their young rookie quarterback. So, I mean, not good. You're not in a good position here. Uh, I took I took a little position on the under of seven wins here for the Bears. Uh, right now, their win total is seven. I don't see a shot that they win eight games. I mean, maybe they squeak out six or seven, but I think that they could legitimately be worse than the Lions or pretty, like, probably split with them one and one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, like you mentioned, Vilas Jones, you know, obviously he looked good as like a 25 year old against, you know, 18 year olds. I mean, he was like played in college. He played in college with Juju Smith Schuster. I saw that tweet today. He played one year with Juju Smith Schuster at USC, which is Caught wild. passes from Sam Darnold. Yeah, yeah. Wild. It's as you mentioned, Noonan. On one hand, this team under a new GM walked into the weekend with Matt Nagy's mistake ridden pile of six picks and came out with a league high 11. That should be commended. But at the same time, no matter how fair Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker turn out as NFL starters, no matter or how early they become NFL starters, I keep coming back to the same question, and it is to what detriment, to what cost, and losing another year of Justin Fields' development since he's already well behind. 
He's already, he already has PTSD behind that offensive line. And there's no arguing that this is the worst offense on paper in the entire league. The Falcons are fun and have explosiveness. The Bears have literally nothing to get excited for, including pass protection. Three of their five offensive rookies they're drafted will already be at least 24 years old in week one. It's a complete disaster what they've done to fields. And so I have zero confidence in this class, at least on the offensive side of the ball, and have zero confidence in the Bears in 2022. Yeah, to that point, I think uh, there'll be some odds for worst team in the league. I will be hitting the Bears. I bet it'll be around eight or 10 to one uh, and maybe even higher. So I'll be taking a piece of that. I think seven's a good look. It'll probably be uh, a play that I get down on too because, I, I, yeah, that's too high. So again, we have a little wiggle room there too. So you can move down to six and a half. I would still take under that because that's pretty uh, – doesn't really matter. I don't, I don't think we're getting a push there. So, yeah, it's a bad roster. Bad draft. I want to commend them, like Daigle said, for the you know addressing and, and stacking and knowing that, hey, I want to turn six into 11. But if you're not supporting the quarterback, you're not leveraging a rookie deal, you're not adding talent on that side of the ball, it's kind of all for naught. So uh, Dallas Cowboys. Dallas had a hole to fill at the offensive line. Uh, they did so with Tyler Smith. Also cashed our uh, top 32 ticket on Smith at plus 250. Thank you very much, Dallas. Uh, they also added a couple of terrific athletes with question marks. First, Sam Williams. Really talented Ed Drusher out of Ole Miss. Kicked off the team mid-season, though, after multiple issues, one of them being a sexual assault allegation. Don't love to see that. Also, some death at receiver with Jalen Tolbert. Um, dominated in South Alabama. Uh, appears to have some legit, like, deep threat capabilities here. Concerns, though, I mean, it's at South Alabama. Does he do that against his competition? Though, I mean, historically, we've seen some pretty good college or pro receivers, Daigle. Uh, come out of really small schools. I think of, uh, you know, uh, Jerry Rice, uh, Terrell Owens, Antonio Brown. They weren't at the Alabamas of the world. So uh, Tolbert could be an interesting guy. Talk to me about the Cowboys. McCarthy took to the podium at the NFL Combine and claimed Dallas's number one focus moving forward this offseason was going to be improving the penalties. Only to <laughs> reach for 21-year-old Smith, who was flagged for an FBS high 12 holding calls last year, as Connor Williams' immediate replacement at left guard. Not only that, but think about their offseason, how much worse they've gotten and losing all the talent they had. They lost Randy Gregory in the last minute to the Broncos and then re-signed Dorrance Armstrong, claiming Armstrong can be the same guy. Dorrance fucking Armstrong over <laughs> Randy Gregory. Not to mention trading Amari Cooper for a fifth-round pick that the Browns immediately restructured. The same thing the Cowboys could have done to make it an even more team-friendly situation and an inflating market at the receiver position. And then to just take Tolbert as his replacement, since we also know we have to take Michael Gallup's status down to week one, it's an utter disaster. And I like Jalen Tolbert for fantasy purposes, but this team has unquestionably gotten worse this offseason. They play the sixth softest schedule in 2022 since the NFC East was dealt to the AFC South this year. On that same note, though, the Eagles, and we'll get there, but the Eagles got better. There's no arguing that. They got significantly better, and the Eagles also had the third easiest schedule this year. So this is not even close to the Cowboys division, in my opinion. The Eagles are the far better team and should be the favorites to win the NFC East well over the Cowboys. Was it? We always get that public money on Dallas' side, but I can get down on an Eagles ticket there for sure. There's no doubt that they got better. We'll obviously get there. Um, yeah, I mean, they Tyler Smith, they say he plays with an edge. Oh, I mean, there's a difference between an edge and then penalty prone, right, Daigle? He has the most ceiling. Again, he was the youngest offensive tackle in the draft. He has such a high ceiling, but 
when you think of ceiling, you have to think about the journey to get there. And I'm very concerned about the journey since he's going to be thrust in the fire. And honestly, he's just not ready. Connor, thoughts on Dallas? We are looking at what, 10 and a half wins? A lot. Yeah. 17 to 1 to win the whole thing. Yeah, that's a lot of wins. Um, I'd probably lean under at that number, and I get we'll get to it later. But as you mentioned, I've, I've already ripped some Eagles bets as well. So uh, we can talk about that in a bit. All right, and we'll move now to the Lions. We talked about them briefly. Um, we can make all the T-Rex jokes that we want, uh, but as Daigle and I firmly suggested, the Lions ran to the podium uh, in seconds. Actually, they even pissed off the league how quickly I, they ran up there. Not even a minute. Not even a minute. I swear. Well, they sprinted wasn't up there. It- wasn't it 1.7 seconds? Like the, the TV changed graphics and it said lines on the clock. I literally think someone clocked it at 1.7 seconds. It said the pick was in right after that. Like the, the cable and Thibodeau steam, which is why, as we talked about, I submitted my mock draft very early because the rumors we were receiving those last 48 hours were so detrimental to the correct process. And I was like, I got to get out of the way of this and went with Aiden Hutchinson at two. And boy, like you said, did they sprint there? Oh, yeah. It, from the whole point, it was it's such a no-brainer pick for them. Again, I'm not saying that he's the no-brainer ceiling player, but like just for all the reasons, he filled the need. Again, like these teams want to win Friday morning, and they want to win locally. Like the Lions have been kind of a beat-down franchise since their existence, and like this was kind of a no-brainer win, especially when it's close. When there are questions about Thibodeau, whether that's valid or not, around his concerns around his brand and NFTs, and I think that's all overblown as well. But like they just made so much sense once we knew what Jacksonville was doing clearly that Aiden Hutchinson would be the pick. Then they went up and surprised us by trading back into round one to add Jamison Williams, who I think we all kind of agree has as much ceiling at the position as anyone in the class. Um, according to multiple trade value charts, I know there are you know multiple that kind of float out there nowadays. A lot of them feel like the Lions won that pretty significantly. With Minnesota, which is interesting to see in the division. Uh, they also added uh, Josh Packle, who a lot of people liked a lot. We were kind of begging for numbers from him. Uh, you know, another edge out of Kentucky. He went round two, really solid kind of bookend with Hutchinson there. So hopefully a little bit more promise for the Lions. Uh, interesting to see that they didn't even kind of flirt with the idea of Malik Willis-Dagle, but uh, talk to me a little bit here with uh, with Detroit. Again, the process is 2023. That's what it comes down to for the Lions. And when you step back and look at what they did to get Jameson Williams, if you remove the first rounder pick swap, they basically traded numbers 34 and 66 for 46 and Jameson Williams. That's a leap from where they sat at 32 to get a receiver at the bottom end of that top tier because that's when we had the drop-off afterwards. So I do think they made the correct call and got tremendous value on it. Uh, remember also, Jameson Williams, although he was a technically a one-year wonder at Alabama, still averaged 20 yards per catch in a large sample, 76 catches, and led Alabama with the most receiving yards per game, 104 over the last decade. Amari Cooper was the next closest with 91. That's a 13-yard difference for Jameson Williams. That's super impressive. It just all comes down to what they do in 2023 because now, no matter how their day two picks on fair, you can look at Aiden Hutchinson, Jameson Williams, stack to the crop they got last year, including Panay Sewell. You are ready to drop in a top 10 quarterback pick into this offense and have him succeed immediately. Jared Goff's contract also voidable next year. I believe they can save money for the first time since they traded for him as early as next season, which tells us that's what they're gunning for. They are absolutely going for that big splash pick at quarterback next year, and they will be ready to compete in 2023. 
is wild, but it's a nice little turnaround for the for the Lions here, mm-hmm. uh, Connor. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, over under right now is six wins, but uh, I know actually some of our friends at a, com- a competitor's website are very bullish on the Lions uh, and like the over on their wins. Uh, and you know, I don't, I don't disagree. I really think that both them and the Bears end up closing at six and a half wins uh, by by the time the season rolls around. And I think that the Lions finish above the Bears in the division. Uh, I mean, just like. I, I think the Lions are still pretty bad, but I mean, the Bears are worse. And so like, I think that the Lions are very much in play for seven wins, maybe eight. If things like the ball rolls their way, you know, there were two and six and one score games last year. Obviously that's a little bit unlucky. Uh, you know, I had some of those missed field goals at the end or like, you know, the other teams making made like, I think two or three last second field goals against them. So uh, I think that's something to consider as well, but I haven't made a play on it. I think that it's just worth noting that the Lions could be a little bit better than what we saw last year. And I was, I mean, the lowest person on the Lions in, probably the industry if that's even possible i think i i said it like every single podcast for months that i was taking the lions under still a pretty rough secondary if they can get something out of mm-hmm. jeffrey akuda and some of the other guys and he you know mike hughes is now there you know he's retread after a nice little season in kansas city like they're going to need akuda to kind of live up to that uh, i do think they're still probably a pretty bad team but um not being in the basement with the bears uh, makes a little sense so we'd love to see them at uh, a quarterback and, and contend here next green bay I'm not sure that many Packers fans were super happy how things went here. They had two round one picks, um, ignored wide receiver again, double tap Georgia Bulldog defenders, first Quay Walker, cashing multiple tickets for us as well, including first linebacker off the board, uh, top 32 pick, all those things. Second, Devontae Wyatt um, comes in with a few off-field issues. I'll be 24 at the start of the season. Not great there, but again, these two both check the athletic thresholds that we know that Green Bay covets here uh, at the first round. They did eventually add three receivers. They traded up early at the start of day two, Daigle, to add Christian Watson. Questions of his own, a little bit advanced age there, and then obviously concerns about competing in North Dakota State instead of at some of the other top schools. Talk to me about the Packers. White also was more of a run stuffer, wasn't asked really to rush the passer. That's why he only has five career sacks. But still, he led all of Georgia's defensive linemen and tackles the past two years. He's very good at what he does. And he, when he changed roles and became a three-down player for scouts at the Senior Bowl, he did dominate. So I do think he's very good. It's just weird because it goes against their threshold since he will be, as you mentioned, 24. They usually prioritize 21-year-olds in the draft. Nonetheless, my concern really is that Aaron Rodgers turns 39 in December, and as great as he's been, I don't consider Romeo Dubes and Christian Watson year one contributors at all. Like Christian Watson still has played. He hasn't played a single career game against FBS competition, let alone even tougher NFL competition. And yet 13% career drop rate and 30% career contested catch rate. I don't know if he can beat NFL defenders in year one. And so I'm very worried about this passing offense, even though I think everything they told us with their defensive selections, with adding an offensive lineman on the, and day three that can be comped, to David Bakhtiari and can start at left tackle or left guard for them, they're telling us they want to be a more run-heavy offense, which, you know, for fantasy purposes, I'll get there on the most accurate podcast tomorrow. Subscribe ahead of time. But it tells us that we should be higher on Aaron Jones for his pass-catching chops. And so overall, I am underwhelmed by what they're doing on offense, but at the same time, they're they're sending a message telling us that they're ready to play defense and dominate that way. Yeah, Connor, what do you think here? A lot of question marks, and I think Dago's spot on. I mean, they are kind of showing us their hand based on how they kind of drafted and how they've neglected the position in free agency and here in the draft. People are giving them good grades, but what I the way I see it, they drafted an off-ball linebacker, 
They drafted a defensive tackle, domestic abuse issues, and then an athletic but unproductive FCS wideout with three picks in the top like 35. I think that's like a terrible haul. Like, I mean, just like, I think that's like, I mean, they needed those guys, but they just did it wrong. I think they did it all wrong. So, I mean, I also have massive questions about Christian Watson, 400 career, hundred yard games in four years, 34 receptions as a senior. I mean, obviously he balled out against like future accountants. I mean, it's not like any surprise at all. So, I mean, he, especially if he's that athletic, he should be doing more. Every play should be a touchdown. You know, like this is like where I'm at. So, um, yeah, I thought that that was bad. And uh, Dalton Case here brings up a good one over under Watson, 699 receiving yards. I take the under like pretty heavy. I mean, I think that is egregiously rich. I mean, that is like he I get that he's one of the only options, but Rogers barely ever trusts like rookie receivers. You know, he has to build rapport. Watson's super unrefined. I mean, I, I like that under a lot, to be honest. As I wrote in the fantasy tracker, which is all round still available at 44.com. Check out all the blurs, my initial thoughts on the rookies. I do think Watson will be more of a splash play guy that causes headaches and redraft leagues. Like we'll never be able to start him and figure out when it is best to play him. But at the same time, like that's going to leave a lot of 10 and 20 yard games. If that on the board, uh, I'm just not as high on him as the public consensus seems to be also Dane Brugler noted that their seventh wide receiver, Samare Torre, uh, has a better chance of starting. He thinks he can outplay Romeo Dubs like in week one. And so that just also causes me major concern. And so I, the, again, the offensive production here, I just think is non-existent. You got to tell yourself, and I, I think this is a really good point to make here too. When you're betting season-long props like this, you got to be able to really tell yourself a solid story to take an over. There are so many mm-hmm. outs on unders. We should naturally be really leaning to unders. You know, in season on props, Connor and I take a little different approach. Connor is kind of always leaning unders. Um, I think he'll—I don't want to you know, take it over if you find a good number. Um, in the preseason, we're taking season-long props. I mean, I will take an over, but man, I got to feel really good about it. It's got to feel like a really mistake line. Um, there again are just so many outs and, and an under on a rookie receiver with a quarterback that will just kind of put you to the side. He needs trust. There's, there has to be trust issues there. And 699 is not a small threshold to get to. I know like it's not a, a ton, but like over the course of a season, that's a lot, especially to Dago's point. If this is a boom bust kind of guy, and he's going to be hanging out a couple of, you know, 15, 20 yard guy or, you know, weeks. That's a problem. That's too high of a number. Um, so be careful chasing overs in season long props. Uh, the Rams, they, as is kind of becoming accustomed, they did not have a round one or round two pick. Um, shamefully, they did not add a punter with the first pick in round three. It's very sad. Um, they did add depth on both sides of the ball, wisely brought Troy Hill back, which I think was kind of their biggest draft day move. Um, he had signed with the Browns last year in free agency. They traded a fifth to Cleveland, bring him back, um, bolster that secondary. Again, 10 and a half wins, defending Super Bowl champs. They are 10 and one deal to run it back. Uh, thoughts on the Rams uh, as little drafts as they had. Their draft begins and ends, in my opinion, with Troy Hill. Like that's what they showed up to the draft for. Uh, they didn't even get value. If you look at the big board that Arya San does at the Athletic, like they reached on their players in the fourth and fifth round: uh, Jacoby Durant, Kyron Williams, even Logan Bruce. These players, they expect he expects per his big board would have been there later but they instead reached on these individuals with minimum picks but ultimately like i don't even try to care because i don't think they care i don't think they 
even show up for the draft at all. Like this is so beyond them. All they do is trade picks and put out all pros and hand out large contracts. Like they don't give a shit about the draft. So why should we give a shit on their draft? So I graded them D for doesn't matter at all because they don't care. <laughs> Connor, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Why did they draft Kyron Williams? I don't know. Just like, like what a waste of a pick. I don't know. Just like scouts, scouts said like Kyron Williams He's lauded for his pass pro, but he also allowed 27 pressures over the past two years because of his small size. And that was against, and know, he's FDN. slow. Like, isn't, didn't he run like a four, seven or something like he's that? He's not an athlete. And so just, he's, he's one of those, like, like a David Bell, uh, where production wise, great at Notre Dame did everything, but not an athlete. So how much does that really translate to the NFL? But yeah, again, he struggled in pass pro, even though for his willingness, he's applauded for it against smaller guys. Now imagine in the NFL at his size, it's just a disaster. He's going to get smoked. It's going to be tough. They'll be good again. They'll figure out a way. Um, Minnesota, um, new front office, new staff, everything there. I'm guessing that their, their top players on the board were gone when pick 12 rolled around. They backed out of that. They traded all the way down to 32 in the division, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with the Lions, who added Jamison Williams. I'm sure Vikings fans will historically be kind of tracking that. Overall, I like some of the additions that they made defensively. I think Lewis Seen is a guy that um, increasingly late in the process, teams were bullish on. Andrew Booth Jr. had some concerns. I believe he had hernia surgery late. Um, if they believe his medicals are cleared, again, those could be foundational pieces for them in the secondary. Um, Brian Asamoah was a really buzzy name coming out of the Senior Bowl. He showed range and athleticism to be able to cover tight ends, running backs out of the backfield. They didn't do a lot on the offensive side of the ball. They obviously have an alpha wide receiver. I would have liked to have seen them add a Jamison Williams, but Daigle talked to me about the Vikings. I am just curious what went to the thought process of trading back to 32 for Lewis Seen when Kyle Hamilton had fallen into their laps at 12. They must have a close grade on him since a lot of other front offices had Hamilton in another tier, like his own tier, and then Lewis Seen and Dax Hill after that. So just a curious move they made. Also, again, prioritizing day three. So it's it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, they should be trying to get as many picks as possible. And we'll talk about that when we get to the Ravens and throwing darts at the wall because they did it in the third and fourth round. They did it on day two in the beginning of day three. Whereas now... On day three, guys alone, over the last three years, the Vikings have taken 23. Like, they're taking their shots in the sixth and seventh round, and it just doesn't make much sense at all. It also leads me to question, like, is it actually Adolfo Mensa who's making the decisions of the new GM, or was it always someone atop actually taking over for the draft since it seems to be the same choices they made under Mike Zimmer as well? So a curious pick, nothing egregious, just middle of the road for me. Connor, what are your thoughts here on Minnesota? Yep, just about the same. Uh, I mean, win total right now is sitting at nine. Super Wads forty-five to one. I mean, nothing inspired me enough to you know like bet that. I think it was very clear, as you mentioned, that I think that the safeties and the and all of the offensive uh, linemen were probably top on their board. Uh, like you know, either Stingley, Gardner, and then all the offensive linemen up to Cross were probably the top guys on their board. And other than that, they're looking to trade down. So that kind of makes sense. But I mean, the scene pick, uh, I appreciated it obviously because <laughs> I bet on Lewis in round one. But uh, other than that, uh, it, you know, it didn't really move the needle for me in, in terms of them as a team. Yeah, seeing close the loop on a bunch of round one parlays as well. So that was uh, an enjoyable pick there to to end. And they liked him a lot. Apparently, they were fielding a lot of calls at 32 for people to trade back up. And they were kind of locked in on him. And to Daigle's point, probably wanted to address the position 
and had a pretty close grade on him and Hamilton and, and uh, kind of left the first round with him. So interesting to see there. The defense was a problem last year. So I think that they did some things to address it, but uh, still questions moving forward. The Saints, uh, clear holes to fill coming out of round one here. They had needs at wide receiver. They had needs at offensive line. Um, they addressed it. It cost them a lot to do it. Last month they had traded uh, a 23 first and a 24 second to Philly to add another first for this year. Then on draft day, they gave up a third and a fourth to move up just five spots to draft Chris Olave. I like the Olave addition for them, but again, expensive. The, the Saints are kind of like the Rams where they kind of just with the salary cap with drafts, they kind of play a different game than the rest of the league here. So uh, they clearly had him in a tier above the remaining receivers on the board, but uh, we'll see how that kind of pans out. They also added Teron Armstead's replacement, apparently Trevor, uh, Trevor Penning fell to them in 19. It was a guy that we liked, you know, maybe earlier. So that worked out for them. Just three picks the rest of the way, Daigle. Um, they're going to need to hit on Alave and Penning for this to be a worthwhile draft. And even if they do hit on Alave and Penning, what does that mean? There's far too much hubris going on here in the Saints front office. To move up from 16 to 11 for Alave, you better have your projection right. And as we know, historically, Ohio State receivers are always the hardest to get right since they run the same program, and they've been so hit or miss over the past few years. And so... I do not agree at all. I do not think they should be awarded or applauded for this class whatsoever, despite liking Olave and Penning in a vacuum. Even going back to the pick swap with the Eagles to start for that first rounder next year in a 2024 second to then have those two picks this year only to move up for Olave, just egregious. Yeah, I agree. Connor? Strange, I mean, strange draft. I don't know. I mean, at first I was like very confused why they traded up for Olave, but I guess, you know, the reality is he would not have made it to 16, I would say almost certainly, so... Um, you know, I guess that makes sense going up to get their guy, but, uh, I mean, he doesn't really strike me as a player that's worth trading up for, but again, I don't know to each their own. So yeah, I guess I gave it like a C. Well, yeah, I'm going to talk about it real quick because I think it, it was, I think that they made the trade initially and they wanted him. Maybe they made that trade and they were like, Hey, this is a guy that we, we really want. And he was at the time maybe projected to be a guy that was going to go in that range of the, uh, you know, high teens. Then they got a feel in the process that he was kind of moving up draft boards and they had already to Daigle's point, the hubris of like, this is our guy. We've evaluated him. He's our guy. They were locked in. And then they kind of realized, Oh, he's steaming up. We need to go up and secure him again. They like double down the mistake. Daigle, do you agree? <laughs> yes, but if we step back and just analyze solely the player, not how they got there, but how they got there was bad. Solely the player, though, to Connor's point, was good. Uh, the fact, think about all the talent that has run through Ohio State and the fact that he leads the program with the most touchdowns in their history. That's incredible. And the fact over the last three years, again, think about all the amazing teams, including Jackson Smith, right, who comes out next year as a top three wide out in that class. And the fact that Olave has led that team in three consecutive seasons and touchdowns as well. This wasn't like a one-boom season he had to score 35 in his career. It was progressively got better and scored touchdowns. That's that's important. And so I do think he's an awesome player. But again, you better have your evaluation right since you were only five picks away from basically adding someone similarly instead of assuming that you have the right guy. New York Giants, hard to mess up. Two picks in the top seven. I think indisputably they got better. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau could very well be the best player in this class. Nabbing him at five. Uh, wasn't someone that was often being uh, mocked or talked about. So good on the Giants. They obviously at that point, it said they were comfortable <sighs> moving forward with whatever tackle was available. That turns out to be Evan Neal. 
I feel like there were concerns about Neil and the process around his health. Again, the day ball ties to Alabama. I think he probably got those answered very comfortably. The versatility that Neil has shown, the ability to play in multiple positions helps him as well. They've done a terrific job at addressing a weakness, which is that offensive line through you know, moves in the free agency, and then here with Neil as well. Um, I imagine Brian Dayball has a clear vision, Daigle, for how they want to use Wandell Robinson. Uh, it's a curious pick. If Kadarius Tony stays on this roster, it's even more curious. Um, I think that there were better wide receivers on the board at the time. Time will tell if that pans out. But otherwise, they've added some nice side speed guys late in the draft. Total of 11 picks. Uh, nice talent infusion for the Giants. It's a dumb pick. I don't even like what they did from day two <laughs> on. It's just a matter of what their high draft capital, at least, they couldn't screw it up. Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman would have screwed it up. Brian Dable and Joe Shane did not. And that's what's important here. And getting arguably the highest ceiling edge rusher, no matter what we think of him on the surface and Kayvon Thibodeau. And then also with addressing your offensive line for the individual that failed to you. And that's what's important here. And so I love what they did on day one. And no matter what I think about their picks on day two, whether I like Wondell Robinson and the rest of that group, it's still, remember, they moved down from 36 to 43 and picked up an additional fourth and fifth rounder. That's what's important. So screw the talent they got on day two. They still got extra pick to take swipes. And that's what I think is appropriate. Yeah, good stuff. Connor, what do you think? Yeah, agreed. I mean, Wando Robinson pick had me scratching my head, but right now win total is at seven, hundred to one to win the Super Bowl. I think you could lean over on the win total, uh, but you know, I think it's pretty accurate to be honest. I think they have a lot of potential, um, but you know, I don't know. I'm not ready to buy into a binary win total on that if you really like like their upside. And and on Wandale, like I'm not even someone who thinks Kadarius Tony isn't a tradable piece, right? Like I think he's very movable. Uh, he had more lowlights than highlights last year, so I understand he looked like a special player. But it is a matter of is he going to play? Like is he going to be on the field for you? And so I I think they can move him honestly. But even I can step back and say you can't put Wandell Robinson on the field and expect him to be Kadarius Tony. They're two different caliber of players. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh pick there but again talent infusion is nice and uh they needed it and it really rust on the, the shoulders of daniel jones that'll be kind of the outcome with that pick so seven stay away from me but we'll kind of see what the rest of the offseason looks like for the giants the eagles obviously came away uh with a lot of talent just five players in the draft but they added multiple picks from the saints for 23 and 24 added aj brown extended him he will be the same age as uh, the previously mentioned Velas Jones Jr. when the season begins. Sorry, Bears fans. Uh, they also added two Georgia Bulldogs, Jordan Davis uh, and Kobe Dean. Kobe Dean, obviously a tremendous performer in college. Lots of injury questions, size questions, uh, but a, a nice pickup where they got him, uh, where he fell. If the goal of the draft is to get better, Connor, uh, set yourself up for the future as well. I think it's hard to argue with what the Eagles did. Yeah, no, I I, lo I love their draft. I thought that the trade for AJ Brown was just like, I mean, kind of unlocks their offense. I think that, you know, it really helps them not be forced to like go run heavy or pass heavy, you know, just kind of like what they did, you know, the half their season was each way. Um, I mean, they can unlock Jalen Hurts here. So I think that was a great move. Jordan Davis helps them shore up some of their defensive issues. The Kobe Dean, a great addition as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on the Eagles. I took a chunk of them over eight and a half wins. I think that they're very live to win the NFC East at like plus 250. I think you're able to find that number at. So I think that that's, I think those are both great bets. You can also bet on them to make the playoffs uh, close to even money. So I'd like that all of those are, are very much playable right now. And I think they close at probably nine, nine and a half wins, to be honest, by the time the season opens. 
The high capital talent alone is great. And Jordan Davis, Cam Jurgens, and Kobe Dean, who everyone let fall. And, you know, Howie wouldn't run to the board for a linebacker, but very talented, only moved down the board for his size. So he actually did go against the grain and saying, I think the rest of you are wrong. He's a very good player. I'll take a chance on size since I now have value in taking a chance on linebacker, which is why Howie never takes linebackers in the first round. It's even better, though, if you factor in, like you said, Noonan, Consider those three players, and also consider that A.J. Brown, a 2023 first, and 2024 second are part of this class. And that's what I step back and look at, which tells you, like, this may have been arguably the best draft of any franchise this year. It's a franchise-altering course trajectory that they are on now by solidifying a young talent like that, re-signing him, um, giving your, again, rookie quarterback, rookie deal. They obviously are not married to him at this point, but they are trying their best to leverage current and future to put themselves in position with, if he is the answer, they are equipped to add other pieces to support him next year. If he's not the answer, they have ammo to go and make that work. And then they immediately gave A.J. Brown that $25 million per year, four years, $100 million, but also the guaranteed money Brown got for the next four years, not even 25 yet, going to be 25 this year, was less guaranteed money than Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, and Devontae Adams received. Overall, just a crash course in how you should run your organization. Yeah, great stuff by the Eagles. Niners uh, showed up to the war room, unplugged the phones, put their heads down, got to work. No moves up, no moves down. They just made the picks they were supposed to make. Uh, did not have a first because of last year's move up to number three. Uh, they added Adam Schefter's boy, Drake Jackson, at the end of round two. Um, interested to see what Kyle Shanahan could do with Danny Gray. He's very interesting. His tape was a lot of fun. Um, drops were a problem at MSU, but um, I don't know. Uh, not a lot else that I love about the Niners. I think kind of ho-hum, but uh, they'll probably be a playoff team if they can keep Debo Samuel because they kind of are. Um, Danny Gray is the guy I'm watching. Dago, what are your thoughts on the Niners? Adding a third running back in the last two years is just overkill, especially since yeah. the first one you added among that trio is the one that played more special team snaps than offensive snaps in Troy, Trey Sermon last year. Also, like Danny Gray, again, prioritizing a certain type of player that you could have got later. Uh, only four wide receivers in the draft average more yards after the catch than Gray. Very clearly a Kyle Shanahan style of play. And so it's just whatever. It's like, yeah, they showed up. They did what they did. They do for better or worse. Connor, what do you got? Yep, pretty much the same. I gave him like a C on the grade. Over under 10 wins right now, 14 to win the Super Bowl. I think that's a little bit rich, but, you know, probably just let it go. Considering we have no idea what's happening at the quarterback position there, it's going to be uh, interesting to see. Yo, Jimmy G, uh, Trey Lance starting week one. If that comes out, I like the odds on that. I think I'll, I think if you can get like even money or plus money on Lance, I, I'd take that. Yeah, interesting to see if that uh, the books are cowards. They're going to post that. They, they uh, will, they will. Just give it like a month, I bet. They, they do. They do every year. It's just like, crap odds so we'll see seattle has one of the worst rosters in the league they did a very un-seattle thing here um looking at the athletic they have them spending the highest percent of their draft capital on premium positions in the draft of course they had to sprinkle kenneth walker in in round two to do a very seattle thing but all, all in all i think they got better charles cross did not seem necessarily like a seattle pick uh considering how much they project to run the ball and his strengths seem to be more on the pass blocking side, but again, a talented guy, I'm sure can learn how to run block. Uh, Boye Mafe was a guy that was commonly mocked at the end of round one, landing him at pick 40. Pretty good pick there. Feels like a win. And uh, they added a corner in round five, Tariq Woolen, that a, a guy's in, I believe, PFF, very bullish on his skills, raw, but could be a steal. Kind of feels like a big, oversized, athletic Seattle cornerback. 
Um, again, more questions than answers long-term here. Dagobo, talk to me about Seattle. Ringers, Ben Solak also likes their seventh-round receiver, Drake Young, from Lenore Ryan as a project. But overall, it's still the fact that this offense has an identity, and it's not a good one. And they traded Russell Wilson to get to this point. And so you should have left better than you were with Russell Wilson. And they arguably are just worse without Russell Wilson. So I don't know what else to say. I don't know how they're going to move the ball. I don't know what they're going to do besides run directly into their center's ass. Like, I don't know what they do on offense at all. So not impressed. Kenneth Walker still a good fantasy pick, but that's for another show. Yeah, I gave him an F. Um, I mean, I thought that that this was one of the worst draft classes considering what they had. Like, you know, like obviously I would rather have their draft class over someone who didn't have first or second round picks, but like they had three top 40 picks. They spent one on or top 41. They spent one on a running back, Kenneth Walker. They drafted a offensive lineman, Charles Cross, who does not fit their MO at all. I mean, like, you know, it would be different if he was, you know, I'm sure he could learn, but like, why are you drafting a guy who can learn to fit your offense at nine overall? It just doesn't make sense. Um, like it would make sense, more sense to pick Trevor Penning or trade down for him. Uh, and then you have, you know, a guy in Boy and Mafe who is probably the best pick of the bunch relative to where he's supposed to go. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, for me, given what they had and where they're headed, over under five and a half wins, I lean under right now. Tampa Bay uh, added multiple players that fill limited number of holes that they have on their roster. Most mocks had them adding either a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman with their first round pick. They traded out of round one, uh, came away with answers to both of those questions in round two. Logan Hall was the first pick off the board in round two. Um, and Luke Doki was an interior lineman that could fill that hole uh, with Ali Marpet retiring. There's also room for maybe Rashad White to work behind Leonard Fournette as well. Um, you could have some questions there with, you know, Kate Otten if Rob Narkowski doesn't come back. Again, good team getting better, Daigle. What are your thoughts on the Bucks? They traded back. They got Logan Hall, as you mentioned, who had first-round grades in a lot of front offices on to start day two. Uh, Leonard Fournette. They can actually save, unlike this year, they can save $3.3 million by cutting them next offseason, setting up Rashad White. And so I don't even really think White will have like redraft impact in year one since Fournette, that's what he does best, arguably. But overall, to address needs at in depth, since they, they're starting 22, is pretty much already filled out. I think they did just fine. Connor, thoughts on the Bucks? Yeah, I mean, again, it was just one of those drafts that I thought was kind of middling. You know, they didn't do anything to hurt themselves, given what the ammo they had. I thought they did they did fine. So, 11 and a half or 7 to 1 to win the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I took a pretty big position on them to win their division and win the, the NFC and the Super Bowl right as soon as we did announce they had Brady. So I just picked off some locals uh, and, you know, went for it that way. Just, you know, screw the local bookies and go from there. Uh, Washington, uh, I like Jahan Dotson more than most, but he's going to need to be a winner for Washington to feel good about this draft. They traded down from 11 to 16. At that point, they had their pick of Olave, Jamison Williams. Uh, if they would have stayed at 11, moving down though, they added a third and a fourth, which is good to see. Then they selected Dotson at 16. They added Alabama's Brian Robinson, Some little depth behind Antonio Gibson. Um, Sam Howell again, classified as another guy that like at some point was the number, favorite to go number one overall. Falling to the fifth round, though, kind of a no-brainer call for them at that point. So, uh, Daigle, talk to me about the commanders. It almost comes down to the difference between Jameson William, John Dotson, since they did what the Saints should have done in staying put, right? Saints trade up, but Washington picks up that extra third and fourth rounder by trading back and passing on Jameson Williams and instead getting a position indeed that they wanted to in the first spot in 11. So, overall, it almost boils down to that for me. Also, to go in with six, still get eight players. I do question, like, 
if Mathis and Robinson will help out in year one, even though they are telling us they don't want to use Antonio Gibson as a three-down option. They keep screaming that from the rooftops. Whether we listen or not will be decided during best ball season. But nonetheless, to do all that and still Sam Howe to start the fifth round, who I still think is a very talented player that deserved third or fourth round uh, draft capital, like the rest of the, the quarterbacks he has been piled up with, I think it's fine. Just fine. No problem with that at all. Either. Yep. Win total right now, uh, seven and a half, 65 to one to win the Super Bowl. I mean, hard pass for me on both those numbers, but, you know, I think that their defense is still solid. Uh, you know, it's just the draft itself kind of, I don't know, confused me. I don't know. I just like, I guess not confused. I just don't really, I'm not a fan of the whole, you know, Dotson at 16. I thought was fine. Robinson in round three just kind of seemed like a why, you know, like again, another one. Like, I guess if you're going to add running backs, it's better in round three, but, you know, like, it seems like I thought that they kind of already had their depth locked up there, but you know, they're clearly telling us as they said that they they do not feel that way. Washington does go from the league's toughest schedule in 2021 to the league's easiest this upcoming year. Uh, the only question is of course, Carson Wentz under center should have gotten there with the Colts, but gave away basically three games single-handedly. And so that's what I keep coming back to when I bet Washington, because Talent across the board, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, is there. It's just a matter of how much does Carson Wentz make this thing plummet. And so I'm just going to look at the numbers and have more on that later. Shift to the AFC. Baltimore do this every year at this point. They sit back, grab talent that falls. Uh, I think there are some major question marks in this roster at the receiver position, but there is no doubt that this team got better this week. I know that safety is not a premium position nowadays, Kyle Hamilton's a good football player. He makes their team better instantly. Uh, Tyler Lindbaum feels like a Raven. Uh, best center in the country last season. Has some ability to play guard, perhaps. Uh, David Ajabo is a guy that was going to be a first-round pick until he blew out his Achilles at Michigan's Pro Day. Uh, pick 45, though, there's so little risk in that Daigle. Uh, steal the draft. And then Travis Jones was a guy that we thought maybe could go early on round two. Was often mocked in round one. He failed to pick 76 to them. So very, very solid draft for Baltimore. I also like Charlie Kolar and Isaiah Likely. What's important is, as we mentioned with the Vikings, piling seventh-round picks, this is how it's done, right? The Ravens pile third- and fourth-round picks. And then just take the talent that falls. Don't even really think about needs. And that's what's important. That's what they did correct. And so they are the ones who did all of this spectacularly. Yes, there's probably a reason these players are available in the fourth round. So a little bit of a double-edged sword here, but nonetheless, to just take best player available, not worrying about your board or looking solely at your board and not fitting an overrated edge, for instance, over another player that you have, uh, they did this correctly. All right, Connor, a lot of games lost on the injury side for the Ravens last year. They've been kind of buzzy as a team to bounce back. Uh, looks like they may be shifting to more of their run-heavy team based on the roster currently. Nine and a half is the number for wins. 22 on the Super Bowl side. What do you like about Baltimore? Yeah, I think that's probably smart for them. I mean, considering they have like no receiving options, I think that, you know, I originally liked them to win the division. You know, I was pretty much on that as soon as we came into that. But the, you know, Bengals built up their offensive line. The Ravens, you know, now don't have Hollywood Brown, even, you know, even though he, I would consider him like a semi-legitimate number one wide receiver, you know, for them. But now outside of that, they're just stuck with Rashad Bateman. And I mean, Mark Andrews is obviously good too, but can't really run an offense through a tight end. So, uh, I'm having a little more concerns than I did originally, um, but I think that they crushed the draft. So, you know, that was obviously a good place to start. Well, remember, they were only 
Lamar Jackson threw a career-high pass terms for game last year because their defense was so piss-poor. That's why they tried developing it this offseason. They always wanted to be a run-heavy offense, even last year. They just couldn't be that last year. And so I think they get back to their bread and butter and what they're best at. I think this is a good thing for Baltimore, actually. I yeah. mean, they also had the worst running back core like ever, like in like the history of the NFL. I think. That's what I'm mean, saying. It was, like, not, awesome. not, yeah, not due to their own circumstances. Yes. Yeah. By complete, yeah. A complete unluck. For sure. Yeah. Uh, the Bills, great roster. Clearly had their eye on some secondary help in round one. They gave up a fourth to move up two spots to secure Kyler Elam there in the first. Don't have a ton of holes, so paying up to get the guy you want is probably fine. Um, I think you know being a little bit. Um, bullish and thinking that you have no holes sometimes can get you in trouble uh, but hey here we are they also added some offensive talent james cook uh at running back sets up to be a nice pass catching wrinkle for that offense um you know the boise state receiver is also got some pretty fun tape too could be interesting to see him in a slot role daigle with the bills talk to me about what buffalo did talk about teams telling us what they want to do i mean they have been on the search for that pass catching back for third downs this entire offseason James Cook, they can put him in position on passing downs to beat linebackers, as he did so often in college against SEC competition, too, one-on-one. Like, he is the type of player they absolutely need, especially with Devin Singletary on an expiring deal, and they are clearly not looking to resign him long-term. So, yes, I think they graded out quite well. Uh, Khalil Shakur also, boundary player in 2020 and the COVID-shortened season, returned to Boise State in 2021 as their slot wideouts and recorded a career high 1100 receiving yards that is clearly where they envision him playing after Jameson Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie move on next year both have short-term deals for 2022 uh JJ Zacharyson also loved Shakur and the fit before the draft so overall yeah I think they helped out their offense which is kind of crazy to think I agree uh Connor can we get down on 11 and a half uh, I mean six and a half is rich for the Super Bowl but uh again they're, some of their teams in the division got better, but I think that they are definitely head and shoulders above everyone else there. Yeah, I, I lean over on 11 and a half. Just my personal rule of betting, never laid the chalk on a large field market. I mean, just generally so much can happen. You know, like uh, the same goes for MVP. Same goes for anything with more than like, I would say 10 options basically um, just because so much can happen. Even if they are, I mean, set up like on paper, uh, probably, I mean, what top two team in the NFL, if not the best. Um, so yeah, I think that the over there is in play for sure. So you don't bet John Rom to win in Mexico when he's plus three fifty, and then he goes out and does it. You feel like a donkey for not having the ticket. So, uh, the Bengals, I was on board, uh, with the early premise that I, you know, that Connor had floated out and, uh, the Bengals would be a big fade in 2022. I'm not so sure I'm there anymore. I think they've had a terrific off season. They added depth to the offensive line, uh, through free agency. They added two starters in the secondary here. I think Dax Hill, is a baller. I think you could put him anywhere. Uh, outstanding ball skills. He fell to pick 31. Uh, Kane Taylor Britt was a guy that is just as versatile. Tremendous ball skills as well. Lewis Riddick uh, raves about him. Uh, they only had six picks in total, so I don't love the depth of the draft. But again, similar to a Minnesota in this instance where they added two guys in the secondary, kind of built some depth there. Kind of like where the Bengals are at. Um, 10 is the win total. A little high, 18-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Um, don't have a lot of interest in those now, Connor, but overall, I kind of like how the Bengals have played the offseason. Oh, yeah. I mean, the off- offensive line was a big thing for me. A lot of their wins, obviously, were just massively like fluky. I mean, they got outgained in yards per play in every single game in the playoffs. Okay. Um, you know, and like obviously they have the upside to win any game because of Joe Burrow and that offense. But 
I just think on a consistency basis, they were probably due for some regression. Now at this point though, I think they have a lot more outs with probably getting a running game going, protecting Burrow a little bit more with their offensive line. So I think that they're, they're very much in play to win the division still. But I mean, the true storyline of this draft, Daxton Hill, first round pick, Cincinnati Bengals, you know, all the money in the world. I, you know, that, 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 that was just the, the headline there. For me, nothing else mattered for them. The fact they added to their secondary or got to add to their secondary with their day one and two picks is the most important takeaway here. Since, as Connor mentioned, they improved their offensive line via scraps and free agency. Even a player like Lyle Collins that should not have been cut but was for cap reasons, that's how they got it done. And so they got to basically treat all their high capital like a luxury, and that's what they did. So good on them. Yeah, I like what they did there. So they'll be interesting here to see run back. Uh, Cleveland. Uh, they took the first two rounds off. They sent those picks to Houston in the Deshaun Watson deal. They had three thirds. Uh, they had a David Bell out of Purdue could have an immediate opportunity in this offense, not an electric player, not a fast player, put up some nice numbers there, cumulative there. Um, Adds some defensive help along the way. All in all pretty meh draft here, Daigle. Uh, no real early headliners on, uh, on Cleveland side. It's a meh group of players. Browns fans will be quick to tell you how well they did, but we should be awarding them anything for trading the number 44 pick for 68, 108, and 124. They got gaff, draft capital, and they took their shots in the later rounds, including on day two especially, where they had two third-round picks and two fourths. So that's what it comes down to. I mentioned David Bell earlier, and just the fact that, again, not an athlete – especially since he tested with a four, six at five forty, and in all of his jumping drills, which translates to explosiveness in the NFL, like didn't reach 30% in any of them. Uh, just not a great player, but overall to average 101 receiving yards per game, which is the most among all FBS players last year. Like it's going to be a true test of whether production or testing athletic testing matters. Uh, and Connor, we don't have a win total here because obviously the, pending suspension probability for Deshaun Watson's hanging out over there, 17 to one to win the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts on Cleveland's draft and uh, anything in the future market? Yeah, just, just wait to bet on them until we get some Deshaun Watson ruling. And I think even then you can kind of like roll into the season and wait to buy low then on like kind of where, where they're at, because, you know, if, if say they come out 500, you know, I would grab a, a Brown Super Bowl ticket at 20 to one, you know, I think that'd be a great bet. You know, if they're rolling in after uh, whatever Deshaun Watson suspension and at that point. So I think that that's kind of how I'm playing it. I think there could be some value there because I think he is truly, you know, a, a lot, a lot better than Baker Mayfield. So, you know, I think that that would be, that's something to look for. We were assuming a six game suspension. I'm going to be watching the schedule release closely because I wonder yeah. if they'll get some stacked teams at the front and then it wouldn't matter anyhow for Jacoby Brissett. So that's kind of what I'm looking at for futures for the Browns. Good point. Good point. Uh, coming out on the 12th. So looking forward to that. And we'll dive into that uh, extensively over the next couple of weeks. Broncos also without a first round pick due to offseason trades, obviously adding quarterback of note. Um, they still added nine players here in the draft. They started things off with Oklahoma edge rusher uh, Nick Benito. Uh, props to Albright. He did have that one correct. Uh, also added Greg Dolich to the tight end mix to mix in with Albert O. Again, another team without a marquee pick Daigle at the top, but solid draft nonetheless. Dulcich is a, a spike play wide receiver. I know NBC's Thor Nystrom thinks he's actually a better prospect than Albert O was coming out of college. And also Benito recorded the highest pressure rate among all edge defenders in this year's class. So some very good talent for a team. Remember, 
that was already stacked. They had one blemish on their roster, and that was quarterback. And now they get a top option in the entire league. So all of these picks, simply luxury. And even if they don't make an impact for this year, it doesn't matter because this roster was ready to go, and they will be ready to go in a murderer's row AFC West. Can't argue with the production, but, you know, undersized, but produced. Uh, so we'll, interesting to see if he can sprinkle in there. Connor, what are your thoughts on your Denver Broncos? Yeah, my Broncos are back, baby. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pulling out the flags out of the closet. Are we know, retiring then, the Dolphins? The Dolphins hanging it, up? Uh, no, no, that's not done yet either. I mean, like okay. I'll, I'll have like one of those split jerseys, you know, where I got like one of those bozos. Um, no, but I, I, I actually do think. So I kind of had the same issue last year where – I was like, oh, the Rams are going to be awesome. You know, they traded for Matthew Stafford. That was all they needed, and they were, like, in a great place. And then I kind of, like, towards the end of the se- towards the end of the offseason, I was like, you know what, 16-1, uh, to 20-1, to 1, like, that's not good enough. You know, like, I don't really – I want more juice on that to bet them. But, I like, we came in with that take. And then, for some reason, we didn't get on it. Now we're kind of in a similar situation where I always thought that the Broncos were, like, a, I mean, a top – five-ish quarterback away from being like a truly like top caliber team. Now they got that. They have plenty of weapons. They have, you know, pretty good surrounding cast. Um, I mean, I think that they're more than capable of making Super Bowl run. The biggest question is their division. Still though, at 16 to one, I think it's worth taking a little chunk to find out and then maybe adding more in season if if they're the real deal. They're they're a better team than the Chiefs. Their roster is a yeah. better team than the Chiefs right now. 100%. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think the Chiefs had a really good draft. We'll get there in momentarily, but uh, I, I don't disagree. I mean, they Chiefs had a they needed to have a really good draft. They were really outside of Patrick Mahomes, who can make up for a lot of you know issues that you have and holes in the roster. Um, I don't disagree. I mean, the the Broncos will be very very interesting to see this year. Uh, Houston, they uh, I want to say thank you to Houston selecting Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, at pick three, cash some uh, big winners for us. So we are forever grateful. Thank you. Uh, also traded back from thirteen to fifteen where they addressed the offensive line. Um, the most had Kenya Green going a little bit later, but I think maybe splitting hairs here, he maybe was ascending in the process. Uh, young, so we'll see what they do there. Also, also some other guys late. Um, I think Petrie was a guy that uh, people liked quite a bit, could play all over the back half for them. John Michi cost them a lot to get to get them to get him. He's also dealing with, obviously, an injury, so that was expensive. They do need playmakers, but again, I think that they had some questionable decisions late. Uh, Damian Pierce, Daigle, could slide in here and be a lead back for them sooner than later. Interesting to get your thoughts on Pierce and the uh, Texans here. The Texans, I just think it was far too much to give up for, you know, Mechie, who I think is a good talent, but he's more like lauded for his run blocking at the receiver position than anything. So to give up two fourth round picks for an injured player to move up for him, for a team that has holes to fill across the board, it just doesn't make much sense. Uh, Kenyon Green, just fine. The Their first two picks were very predictable. Like Lance Zierlein was on top of it, predicted both Stingley and Green to them. And then Nick Cesario comes out the next day during his post-draft co- conference and mentions that they prioritize, as we talked about on last week's show with Silva and Kanish, that they prioritize character among all these guys. They didn't want players per Cesario, or Cesario that thought about anything other than football, which again is a negative thing. Teams shouldn't do that, but that's the kind of guys they reached for. And so it was just very clear what they were trying to do for Damian Pierce though. Again, I'm trying to not talk too much fantasy on the show, but I worry much more than everyone else considering he never had more than 106 carries in any season at Florida. Uh, He totaled 374 touches throughout his career and then failed to reach 600 rushing yards in every season. 
Like he's never been treated as a workhorse. He's always been a rotational back. And so just to think they're going to plop him in and use him as such, not only that, but he can succeed as such. That's big question marks for me, especially as a day three guy. So uh, I don't weigh it as heavily. I don't consider much of a fantasy option as everyone else, especially since we still consider this offense to suck this year. Good stuff. Uh, Connor thoughts on the Texans. Yeah, four and a half win total, uh, 200 to one win the Super Bowl. I thought that they added like key pieces in the draft, but uh, you know, not enough for me to really love the over on their win total. So I think it's kind of a stay away for me, but you know, I can, I, they're kind of building in the right direction. I don't know. I mean, it seems like things are hopeful. Like, you know, Daigle said that the uh, Falcons and Lions are building for 2023. The Texans are building for like 2024. Like, I mean, that's kind of how I view them. I, I think they're just building Legos. Yeah. <laughs> when you hit the bottom, there's nowhere else to go, but up. So we have <laughs> literally. To some credit. So, uh, Colts, another team without a first round pick. They came away with multiple contributors, though, with their uh, one second and three thirds. Not a lot to like about this receiver room outside of Michael Pittman, but Alec Pierce uh, could have a role immediately. Jelani Woods teaming up with Mo Ali Cox could be a problem. Uh, kind of fills a little bit of that Jack Doyle role. Um, this Colts team is full of massive human beings. Uh, Rayman was a guy that we were shorting. Uh, he fell to them in the third due to injury concerns. Uh, Daigle, thoughts on the Colts? They prioritize athleticism, which, again, I love when teams do that, especially for an offense that lacks juice outside of Jonathan Taylor. Um, even Michael Pittman, although we think he can be left on an island against the league's best corners as long as he keeps developing properly, is not like the speedy guy. They needed that T.Y. Hilton since they didn't resign him. They needed T.Y. Hilton in his prime. And so then to get Alec Pierce, who at his massive size, still averaged 17 and a half yards per catch throughout his college career. And then also Jelani Woods, who we talked about it last week's show as well, has the best athletic profile for any tight end ever since the combine started. And so that's clearly what they were trying to do. And every pick was get more juice. So hats off to them. Uh, Connor thoughts here. Yeah, right now, win total sitting at nine and a half, 22 to one to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I think it's a little bit rich, but at the same time, I think Matt Matt Ryan is like at least a tier bump above uh, Carson Wentz. So like, you know, I don't think Matt Ryan's elite at this point in his career, but he's capable of moving an offense as long as he has like reasonable weapons. Uh, He's not going to be the focal point anymore. You know, they have a running game. They have a good offensive line. So yeah, I think that this team has some pieces in place, um, you know, to do well. They're the best team. In the AFC South, yeah. Uh, well, yeah Ryan, Ryan sure. you already you said a tier above, but like we need to emphasize that Ryan is a massive upgrade. Yeah. You cannot look at his performance the past couple of years when he was playing with like half there Calvin Ridley, and then asked for like Russell Gage to throw to him and Kyle Pitts, a developing rookie tight end. Like his performances last year don't matter at all. Like yeah. throw that out. Um, this is a very good team. Very I think good. I put I think I put Ryan in like the like. I don't know, like eight to 13, eight to 14 range in terms of quarterbacks. Whereas I think Wentz is like bottom five, six. So yeah, that's like, I mean, a tier and a half, maybe a tier, two tiers above, uh, you know, a guy like him. I'm more interested, I guess, in them to, to see what a division win number is versus nine and a half, but I, I can get there in the nine and a half. Cause I do think they are far and away the better team. I think the Titans took a step back. I think we all think maybe the Titans overperformed last year. Anyway, we don't think the Jags or Texans are really in the mix. So it becomes pretty clear cut on the Colts here. Talk about the Jags now. Thank you, uh, oh. PD, PD Jr. Oh, go ahead. Also, remember all those things they did in their secondary too, like Stephon Gilmore. Like these things are yeah. big signings they had. So, true, like true. this team is ready to go. Uh, check is cashed. Trayvon Walker in the books. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, now we can actually talk about how it was a pretty bad pick. Um, taking a shot on this guy, again, feels like a pretty massive reach. Again, they have these athletic thresholds. 
arm size traits that they really want to prioritize. Uh, the we'll have to wait and see here. They also traded back in for Devin Lloyd, who some folks really love, but again, off ball linebacker in the first round is not necessarily a position that you typically trade back into round one for. Not great for Jacksonville, but uh, we'll see here. Daigle six for the win totals, 130 to one to win the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts on the Jags? It's the fact that, as you mentioned, they drafted Devin Lloyd, who we like as a player, played high school safety, right? Transitioned to off-ball linebacker at Utah. So we expect him to be very rangy, but they also gave up two extra picks to move up six spots for him. And he will also be 24 years old in week one. So already we're behind in development. Not to mention that, remember, they gave Foye, uh, oh God, I'm going to mispronounce this. I should have wrote it down phonetically. Um, <laughs> a lo- a lau- Con, help help me out here, somebody. That's okay. kind of what I would Whatever. do there. Yeah. They gave Foye a three-year, $45 million contract in free agency. And then again, when we got back to them at pick number 70, they drafted another off-ball linebacker. And then afterwards, the press conference, when they asked Trent Baalke about like Chad Buma and the group of these guys they drafted, he said you can never have too many guys at linebacker. It's a it's an atrocious, like it's a complete disaster what they did. I even like Trayvon Walker, right? But what they did afterwards for a team that, again, has needs at nearly every position, especially on defense, it's egregious. I mean, I'll forever love Trayvon Walker, but uh, I, you know, if I was a Jags fan, feel a little bit differently. Connor, what are your thoughts here? They, they began with 12 picks and they made seven. Yeah. And I mean, they get, needed to make 12. Well, I mean, they need, they're so bad at so many positions. They needed to just like churn players, like, you know, like just like draft as many guys as they can rounds like two, three, four. And they did the opposite of that. And not to mention, I think like given the draft capital they had, I would say that it's like an utter disaster what they like, you know, produced. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, they still did add to the team. They bolstered their offensive line in the offseason. Now their defense should at least, I mean, they can't be any worse pass rush wise, you know, like they at least have, should have some um, given Walker and some, some additions in the linebacking core. So I think it's that, I think that there would be okay. You know, I think that they have some upside, but again, a lot of that's going to depend on Trevor Lawrence and the offense. I still think the defense is going to kind of be trash. So uh, we'll we'll see, I guess. That's kind of where I'm at with them. Kansas City. I think Brett Veach, uh, Veach had a home run here in a lot of ways. Two firsts. They had a clear need at receiver. Uh, is, as we stated earlier, not a great roster overall. And the defense, though, has been an issue for years. And again, when you have Patrick Mahomes, he can kind of hide some of those flaws. Um, they added help up front. And in the back half, they traded up to grab Trent McDuffie. And then they added... Uh, George Kalafas at pick 30, who, again, was often being mocked in the teens or even high 20s. Um, then they addressed the receiver in round two with Sky Moore, who a lot of people love, broke a ton of tackles at Western Michigan. There's big old mitts, uh, showing the ability to line up really anywhere. I think he's going to come in and contribute right away. Scouts love the next three picks that they made on the defensive side of the ball. All those guys are probably starters as well. Again, that speaks to the roster that they're coming into. Uh, but again, I want to give them credit for what they did here. I think they did a really good job, Dable. So stepping back, they are sending a message to us, right? Trip McDuffie replacing Charvarius Ward. Uh, Carl Aftis, as you noted, a rotational bull rusher to learn in year one behind veterans Frank Clark and Melvin Ingram. Did add Sky Moore, and I think he can be more than an underneath player, but more also led college football in yards on slant routes last year as an underneath guy. of his career targets came within 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. Also think about losing Tyreek Hill and then the fact that the way they played last year over the second half of the season with Patrick Mahomes leading the entire league in production 
after the catch and passing yards after the catch, they are clearly leaning even heavier into the same boring offense that allowed them to win nine of their 10 last regular season games. Uh, And this year, they're projected with the league's toughest passing schedule. They have two games each, obviously, against their own murderous division where every team's elite. And then if you look at their off-ball scheduling, their three like random games they drew were the Bills, Bengals, and Bucks. I don't think this team gets to 10 wins. I don't think they're offensively talented enough to get 10 wins beside Mahomes. And so I like the under on their wins a lot. Interesting. What do you got here, Connor? Yeah, I mean, Dagle brings up some good points. And I just from an overall, I guess, roster perspective, like who's going to take the top off of defenses here? I mean, I mean, maybe he's one of their ancillary guys. Like, I just don't think that they have the same kind of potential offensively, you know, without Tyree Kill. You know, that being said, I think that Mahomes is talented enough to find a way around it. I just think that there might be some growing pains. And I'm not sure how much like leeway their schedule gives for having growing pains. Uh, it's, it's not just that too. Like think yeah. back to last year or the couple years. Whenever Tyreek Hill gets injured, whenever Travis Kelsey gets Kelsey gets injured, they have answers. They don't have answers if a Marquez Valdez Scantling gets injured, right? No one else can do these one things these players do, and so their depth becomes even worse this year. That's the issue is they're not prepared to respond this year. Right. So yeah, I, I think that maybe we can find a spot in season to buy low if things are turning around and we see some of those kind of questions answered. Uh, and you know, they're probably have a tough, tough, uh, schedule the rest of the way regardless. So I think that you can probably wait and get a better number in season regardless, to be honest. Uh, the Raiders, a shipped their first and seconds to green Bay for Devonte Adams. So it's hard to say that this was a bad draft for them. We kind of have to put that into the totality of what they got here overall. Didn't add much of note. Zaire, uh, Zamir White could be Josh Jacobs' eventual replacements, whatever that looks like. They declined the fifth year on Jacobs this week. Uh, Daigle, thoughts on the Raiders' kind of ho-hum draft? It's the same thing as the Patriots. They carried over the ho-humness to Las Vegas. At least they got Devontae Adams, as you mentioned. But to only have six picks and then take two running backs – Albeit at 122 and 250, but to take two running backs, these six picks, and now you have seven on your active roster. They even brought over Brandon Bolden, who's very clearly going to be their pass catch specialist, plus play on special teams, a la what he did with the Patriots. So just underwhelming, but top heavy. They're just fine because of what they did in free agency, including Adams. So that's what we're most looking forward to is their games this year against the rest of the AFC West. Diggle eight, or I'm sorry, Connor, eight win total. 35 is the number for them to win the whole thing. Any thoughts here on the Raiders? I think every single year that we've done move the line, we've gotten the Raiders wrong. Um, just like, I feel like we've faded them when they've been like creeped over their win total. And then like just the vice versa, right. As I start to think that they have some potential, they just mess it all up. Uh, for me, it's just not a team that I can get right here. Again, I thought the draft was, I, I thought it was pretty bad. I mean, just like the process of taking those kind of running backs, like where does Josh Jacobs fit now and all this? Like, I don't even know at this point, like what is his role? Once they declined his option, it's very clear they're moving on. Maybe not yeah. this year, but he's also like strictly a first and second down guy this year. That's it. Yeah. And then they, whatever, they traded for Adam. So obviously that's a big weapon for Derek Carr, a guy who has played like way better than I could have imagined. You know what I mean? Just like his EPA and uh, completion percentage over expectation has just been like way, way better than I would have thought. Um, and now you give him a legitimate weapon it's with Waller and, you know, Renfro. Like, I don't know. It's just like I keep going back and forth on I hate the moves that they make. I don't like a lot of the pieces that they have. And then they just continue to do things that are like, you know, they have pieces in place. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Facelift, though, there organizationally with obviously, sure. you know, all the 
you know, off the field stuff coming in. So we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, I think we've just been shorting a lot of those things, the questionable draft decisions, you know, the Gruden stuff. Uh, we've been on the wrong side of that. So we'll see what happens. Chargers did the right thing. You have a franchise quarterback, you support him, you build around him uh, aggressively while still on his rookie deal. Some teams continue to miss the mark here. The Chargers are not one of them. They add Zion Johnson helps bolster that offensive line. I know he was a uh, very big target for New England at 21, part of why they traded back when he was off the board. They also added some secondary help later. Isaiah Spiller mixes in. I believe this is the 15th consecutive year that the Chargers drafted a uh, middle round running back. They are in. they are so obsessed with finding a goal line running back. It's insane. The last three <laughs> years they've done this shit. Yeah. I don't quote me on the 15, but it's been a lot, Dale. I mean, they they, they continue to try it's li- to well, it's literally been three years. Yeah. Uh because they God, I, I just lose track of all the names now. Yeah, the kid from Northwestern. Justin uh, Jackson. No matter Jackson. what, he's gonna linger around. He'll be there forever. He'll find his way, you know, just to keep um, on the roster. But, but <laughs> what's funny though is that. You know, if it were another team in an earlier round, Isaiah Spiller would be just fine because he has the size, 6'0", 217, the NFL GMs love. He has the experience with 613 career touches with the Aggies, and he was a three-down starter in Bryan. It's just that not an athlete whatsoever at his size. Like 4'6", 40, even his size is not good at all. 20th percentile broad jump to translate his explosiveness at the next level as well. But they very clearly want a short yardage back to help move the chains, for Justin Herbert, and that's what they reached for. But other than that, Noonan, like, of course we like their other picks. Like Zion Johnson, they went in yet again for the second year in a row saying we are just trying to protect Justin Herbert with this pick, and they did get their guy. The opposite of what we were hoping the Jags would do. Uh, you just go ahead and protect your quarterback and build around him. But, Connor, any thoughts here on uh, the Chargers? Yeah, 10 wins, 16-1 to to win the Super Bowl. Uh, probably just going to be a wait-and-see thing for me with this division, largely. I, I They have all the pieces, but – you know, so do the Broncos and the Chiefs are still kind of hanging there. And I think the Raiders are going to be, they're going to win some games. We don't expect them to. So, you know, it's kind of tough, tough for me to bet. Like there are over-unders on any of these win totals, to be honest, for that division. I don't know how you and everyone else that makes these bets, because I don't bet Super Bowl favorite. I don't bet Super Bowl odds. Uh, I don't know how you are going to parse through this since literally 12 AFC teams all come down. It comes down to one game and a coin flip. That's it. Yeah. NFC is easy. NFC is just the the Bucks or the Packers. No, the Bucks are probably the 49ers if they get it right. But like, yeah, it's AFC. It's literally between eight to ten teams. Yeah, I mean, wait. I honestly, that's probably my what I'm gonna do is wait. Maybe you know, take a some speculative things that like f- anything above twenty, and then just wait on the rest. Yeah, not a market that I typically jump in either. But uh, you know, again, if you can get some nice CLV getting into November, January, you feel probably pretty good about it. But you'd want to have a nice. Crooked number there as well. I, I kind of agree. Miami, just four picks. Multiple picks went to KC in the uh, Tyreek Hill deal. They added athletic depth with some question marks. Kind of similar to the Raiders, though. Their draft grade essentially Daigle tied to their new number one receiver. Yeah, it's an unimpressive class. But then again, they made their splashes in free agency. And Skylar Thompson, their seventh-round quarterback, is not the guy that's going to be their backup. So I don't really worry about this class whatsoever. Uh, Eric Azakama did lead Texas Tech the last three seasons in each of them in receiving yards, but also he had seven games compiling fewer than just 60 last year. Like, not really a option that stands out other than to be a rotational guy a la Devontae Parker inside the red zone for his, like, 6'1", 209 size. So, overall, just genuinely, I don't know if they're going to get a single player out of this class. Yeah. <laughs> Connor, you're, uh, you're Dolphins. 
Um, I mean, Tua looks better than ever, you know, just like <laughs> he is ready to go. I don't know if you saw those training videos, but he looks excellent. Uh, you know, a t-shirt. I yeah, love nothing can get you more jacked up than those training videos. Yeah. Uh, totally, uh, you know, doesn't make sense at all, but I, I'm, I'm here for it. Any confirmation bias I can get on Tua being back. I'm in, uh, but real, really though, I think the Tyreek trade is good. The offense looks good. I would consider betting Super Bowl futures on them, but they play in the FC. So 35 to one, just not enough. You know, like if they were in the NFC, I'd be all over 35 to one. I think they're more than live. I think they're well, somewhat live to win the division. They play, yeah, but say they play AFC and then they play in a division. They're, they may not be the second best team in, honestly. No, I mean, that's like, like I it, think it depends on the Patriots. progression of Zach Wilson and, and Zach Wilson. There you go. Yeah. It's like, I mean, Patriots, that's, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> tough, tough, tough scene. Uh, perfect timing. We'll transition. I, I, you know, need some space here. I, so they're getting crushed. For, the Patriots are getting crushed for the draft. I think rightfully so. They should be. Um, yeah, Connor. I said rightfully so. Um, so more for me, more so than the perception that they reached, because I mean, clearly they did, and I think that that's important too. But at the end of the day, like we know that this is a crapshoot. So like, if you feel you've nailed some guys, it makes sense. They made a nice trade back and then they just kind of crap down their leg by adding old guys. Um, I don't have any doubts that Cole strange is actually going to be good. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's safe to assume that he would have been there for them in the second round. They needed mm -hmm. speed on offense. And I think take on Thornton has it in spades, but you can't look at him without him falling down. He cannot break a tackle. It's really hard to be that fast and have that bad after the catch numbers. I like the two Joneses, Marcus and Jack, that they did. They added uh, to fill secondary holes. They're both small and old. Um, they added two more running backs. Do we really need more running backs? I like Pierre Strong, but like, it was that in need for them. Um, and then Bailey Zappi in round four. Like, round four is not the time for that. Sam Howell went in round five. Like, if you really liked Bailey Zappi, you have to understand that the majority of the teams probably have Sam Howell before Bailey Zappi, even if you feel that that's a need to address. So they're getting hammered. They should. I don't like the draft. Dagle pa Patriots, talk to me. And Bailey Zappi, remember, he played in one scheme throughout his entire college career. He basically has never been asked to read any semblance of a defense since he was just a one-read guy who let the offense tell him what to do. And so to take him with such, like, good capital to start day three. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, Jack Jones, also their fourth round pick, is as old as Nikhil Harry is right now. Cole Strange turns 24 in July. Marcus Jones turns 24 in October. Pierre Strong turns 24 in December. And Tyquan Thornton, although he does turn 22 in August, he's just a very undeveloped player. Uh, I do like Thornton for fantasy purposes because he's going to get knocked down throughout the dynasty process a la Kadarius Tony, and eventually the ADP becomes so good because it's just much easier to dunk on him, right? That we can get him to value at the back end of second rounds and rookie drafts. But his developing in year one at such high draft capital is key. I don't think he's that good. And then, as you mentioned, Pierre Strong, I do like him. 76 of his 627 career carries at South Dakota State went for 15-plus yards. He ran a 4-3-40 at 207 pounds. The kid's got juice. But at the same time, it doesn't matter because he's the he is canceling out Damian Harris's expiring contract. This is clearly them saying we're not resigning Damian Harris this year. Also, for fantasy purposes, it is now Damian Harris in one role, Rondre Stevenson in one role, P. 
Keir Strong in one role because they all do different things. And then, of course, James White in one role. So it's just like, okay, I guess this offense is predicated on Mac Jones passing the running backs and maybe shooting downfield at times to either Nelson Aguilar or Thornton. It's just an unsexy offense that may have to yet again hinder on Hunter Henry scoring far too many touchdowns that are obviously going to regress in 2022. So there's just, it's just a typical Patriots draft, man. Not good, Connor. Yeah, pretty boring. Uh, eight and a half win total. I think that I lean under, but at the same time, I think that they're going to win some games that they shouldn't. They're going to beat some teams mm-hmm. they shouldn't just because they're going to run the ball, run the ball well. I mean, they have great, they're great in the trenches. Their defense is good. Um, it's just that they have absolutely no pass catchers that we we're excited about. They are not, I mean, like we just can't mistake them for like any other NFL team at this point. Like they're just going to play bully ball and just try and dominate in the trenches. Like that's, I mean, and then hope and Mac Jones already kind of showed us like, you know, he's going to, he's pretty good at like about making good decisions, pretty accurate in the short distances. Like he's not going to wow you, but just going to keep them on course. And that's probably what he wants right now. So again, I thought the draft was a complete utter disaster. But I think that they're they're still going to be okay. Like I'm not taking the under confidently. I think they're still going to be like an eight or nine win team and surprise people. I don't think it's a disaster because these players are good. It's the fact of how they went about getting them, yeah. in that they did not let them come to them. Completely agree. Uh, and the old guys thing is like, I I get that you can zig when others are zagging and all the like, but like going this is not the time to do it. You don't go old when everyone else is trying to like go with like athletes and young guys. Like I don't think that that's the way to do it. So again, they need a lot out of at least one of Marcus or Jack Jones in the secondary. We'll see if that happens. I just I think that there still could be the second best team in that division pretty easily, but that doesn't necessarily assure you of playoff spots um, in this conference. Like AFC East does not feel like a two team playoff uh, division. So we'll see what happens. The Jets got better. Hard to argue when you leave round one with three players. Uh, you don't get a poor draft game kind of automatically. So kudos to the Jets. They entered the week with four and ten and really had. You've been rumored to add three different positions, a cornerback, a receiver, and a defensive end. They went with Sauce Gardner at corner, Garrett Wilson at 10, and then they were able to trade back into the end of the first at 26 and grabbed Jermaine Johnson, who was just falling. Um, added the drafts top back in Brees Hall at pick 36. So again, like the Jets got significantly better. Their draft was a win. Their success as a team obviously is tied to Zach Wilson here. Daigle, what are your thoughts on the Jets? You don't make seven picks when you showed up with nine, including three first-rounders with those seven picks, and get a bad grade, right? You played your capital correctly. At the same time, though, what's worrisome, even though you get a good draft grade, the same two questions exist post-draft. It is, in order, does Zach Wilson develop, and where does Makai Becton fit into all of this? And those questions were not answered. We still ask the same questions. But that's literally going to come down to, is this team like – the second best in their own division, or are they just yet again, the same old jets? So really what it's setting up as honestly is them being the Broncos of last year, having everything in place. Cause they played it correctly, except for the quarterback position, uh, depending on what happens with Zach Wilson. So that's what I keep coming back to. Beach of the sea, Connor, what are your thoughts? What are we looking at? Five and a half wins and a yeah. uh, hundred to one, obviously for the Super Bowl. I think we can cross that off, but five and a half is maybe attainable. Yeah, I mean, five and a half, I think, is viable. But again, you're in the AFC, their division, like every game is like, I, it's it's tough for me to point to 
any games on their schedule where I'm like, oh yeah, like they have a clear advantage, you know, like, because I still think that they, I mean, I'm not really sold on Zach Wilson. I don't know. Maybe that's just not enough foresight into thinking the, about his upside, but I'm just really, really not convinced uh, in, in him as a, as a prospect here. And I don't think he showed enough at all. So I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's a stay away for me at five and a half. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend that the uh, Steelers messed up. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know that Kenny Pickett is going to be good or not. I think we all know that quarterback evaluation is really tough. Uh, it is impossible not to play hindsight now and feel like the Steelers didn't reach considering how the rest of the league approached this quarterback class. If they were even close on Malik Willis grade wise to pick it, this one kind of stings a little bit. Willis did not go until pick 86 to Tennessee Steelers not only picked obviously at 20, they picked at 52, they picked at 84. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I think obviously Pickett is the answer here. They also grabbed two receivers and we know they rarely miss there. Uh, so look out for George Pickens, look out for Calvin Austin. Uh, at the end of the day, again, he matters more than anything here. It's Pickett. Uh, Connor, give me thoughts on the Steelers. Seven and a half is the win total. I mean, this was the most Steelers draft I've seen in a while. I mean, just like Stan Pat, take your guy at quarterback. Like, I think that's kind of like a much more NFL mentality than what we're seeing, especially the quarterback position. You know, like for for the NFL teams, like it's not really as much about value. Obviously, in hindsight, it looks terrible. They picked the first quarterback. 50, 60 picks ahead of the next one. But, you know, like if they truly had Kenny Pickett as their number one quarterback, they knew they needed a quarterback. Uh, you know, I don't really blame him too much for standing pat and taking him. And then, you know, drafting a guy like George Pickens, who has tons of upside. Uh, obviously, the off field stuff, off st off field stuff is more than concerning, uh, especially based on the other knowledge that we have. And, uh, you know, Calvin Austin, speedy wide receiver, ton of upside as well, I think, in terms of like, you know, a smaller gadget role. But it's just, I think they did what, they like normally do well draft mid round wide receivers guys who can develop and then picked uh you know a transitional or maybe transformational player in uh Kenny Pickett at quarterback so I, I think it was a pretty good draft for them but uh, I'm not super bullish on the Steelers overall in general it all comes down to how Kenny Pickett fares and honestly maybe even that's being too kind since we know how the rest of the quarterback market fell in the draft so if anything they should be penalized for that for reaching on an individual when he would have been there on day two, most likely. So that's what I keep coming back to. And that's why I think it's a failing grade for them. Yeah. Kind of how I agree too. I mean, it's easy to say now that he went, uh, you know, Willis goes to 86 and then the Steelers had 52 and 84, obviously things, you know, shake out differently, but again, it feels so much above everyone else where you know, this kind of class was collapsing on itself uh, as we got closer in the process. So, and just, just so everyone knows, Mike Tomlin did come out post pre, post press conference and did say that he views Pickett in other words, shortening it down a starter immediately. There's very much going to be a camp competition here. So Pickett may start in year one over Trubisky. Good. Last team Titans. Um, when you have a young talent like AJ Brown, I think you pay and you keep him. I'm not sure what their process was and why they weren't willing to do so. Um, they were willing to uh, basically nab the player that was, comp to him the most during the draft process at Traylon Burks. Um, they're going to need Burks to basically step in and be 80% of Brown right away is a big ask for a rookie. Um, other big piece here, Malik Willis, as we just talked about, kind of a home run pick for them in round three that a lot of people were projecting the Titans would be in the quarterback market because they can kind of get out of the Tannehill stuff next year without a lot of penalties. Um, round three, kind of a no-brainer for them. Again, I don't understand why this team – made this decision with A.J. Brown, Dagle, when you have a guy like this, you kind of lock him up. 
there are situations that happen in sports that sometimes slip through the cracks as just another moment when really they're actually transcending at the time. Um, think about Noonan, how many prep school basketball games you've been to for your son. And the fact over the last decade, you've seen every young point guard try to be Steph Curry because his skill translated to the next level. And he literally dictated how players now develop because everyone thinks they're a shoot first point guard when he's just a, a rare specimen. Also think back to last year in primetime on Monday night, whenever the Saints had to start Ian Book and the NFL literally changed their COVID protocols the next day because they said never. Or are we going to let Ian Book start another game in the NFL? Because that's when you know our product is complete shit. And so now, A.J. Brown being traded ahead of his age 25 season, before he even reaches his prime, like, it sets a precedent moving forward. The market was already getting there, but never to this extent. Tyreek Hill going to be 30. Uh, you could argue descending speed. No big deal. Devontae Adams wanted to force his way out, goes back to a teammate. The Packers are never going to pay that money. They even told him it was like $17 million initially, and they laughed whenever Christian Kirk got even more than that. Adams trumped that. No big deal. They got out. But A.J. Brown, for a team to perhaps short-sightedly not make the cap space for this move whenever just a year ago you paid Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, like trying to set up the core pieces of your offense ahead of time, it's a disaster, really. And so – I don't know whether to blame the Titans. I don't know whether to blame the market, but clearly like it's maybe the most impactful move in NFL history that just happened. Yeah. Big trade. Uh, Connor thoughts on the Titans to bring us home. I mean, yeah, to me, like it makes no sense, you know, find a way I get cap, you know, the cap was tough. I know that they're gonna have to pay him a lot, but I mean, figure it out. Like there's, there's no, should be no other option than trading away an alpha wide receiver in, in AJ Brown. Like, I mean, this guy can, he can ball. Uh, and it's part of the reason we're so excited in the Eagles. So, and then replacing with a guy like Traylon Burks, who I think I'm, you know, think Burks could be good, but at the same time, I mean, he, you know, tested poorly, you know, has, has his own questions as well. So I think that there's more like, this is not like a one-to-one -one replacement by any means. Uh, right now, Traylon Burks over under on his prop was 850 yards, which is, I mean, rich in a run first offense, but again, like who else are they going to throw to? Like just this time last, last off season, we're talking about, you know, Julio Jones, AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, kind of like, you know, circle of, of pass catchers there with some good slot help. Now we're talking about Traylon Burks. 3.57 yards per route run and 9.3 yards after contact per catch at 6'2", 225. Just absurd athleticism, hence why he comped to AJ Brown. They just took it a little too literal. Yeah. 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 Bob Woods there now, but you know, like Bob Woods coming off of a pretty massive knee injury. He's, I believe on the wrong side of 30. Um, they've spent some money on the defensive side of the ball last year. I think the Harold Landry, they just re-signed this season. So like they've spent some money. I, I mean, Doing I'm what? not saying that those are bad choices, but like start yeah. at the top, right? They will allocate it to AJ Brown and then work your way down. We're talking about a overrated off-ball linebacker last year at Bud Dupree. You know, Landry kind of the same. Like, you can find those positions later. You keep A.J. Brown and you add Traylon Burks to him. That's why I almost want to blame them because even in Robert Woods being $10 million this year, it's almost like they didn't plan for this, right, for A.J. Brown to demand so early. But again, like Bill Parcells once said, teams don't lose players they want to keep. It comes down to organizations. And so – I genuinely think they their numbers just got crossed and they didn't plan long-term. Yeah, something happened. And you can see Vrabel looked in the war room not happy with that pick. So, uh, again, I think he played it up pretty well. Oh, in man, the I'd be pissed. You know, yeah, post-presser. But uh, 
not great overall. So that also us boys. Okay. Oh, I best say boys under an hour 45 for 32 teams. I think that's pretty damn good. I thought we moved along pretty good. So yeah, that was, that was good. That was going to be tough to do. And I appreciate anyone that hung out to the end and is listening to this now or watching with us now. We appreciate it as always. Again, 444.com slash plans. Get a betting sub. Check out all the work that Daigle's doing. Uh, again, redraft, best ball, all that stuff. Connor and I will continue to have uh, some more NFL stuff as we kind of turn the screws here. And we have uh, move the line, same bat time, same bat channel next week. So for Daigle and Connor, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next week.